Welcome to Educated Conjecture, an Ipsos podcast that combines what the public thinks with what the experts think. In each episode, Ipsos's Mike College and Sean Simpson and their informed guest examine a current or emerging issue. They discuss what is happening today, think ahead about the future impact, both the good and the bad, and reflect on which steps might need to be taken to generate a better outcome for tomorrow. It's the week of August 23rd and the second week of Kenda's election campaign. So in this episode, Sebastian Delaire, SVP and Director General for Ipsos in Quebec, joins Sean and Mike to discuss how the upcoming election will play out, including the wedge issues, the role of debates, and the impact of the BQ, as well as which political parties have the most to gain and lose in the province. And now, on to the podcast. John, how are you today? I'm well, Mike. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you keeping busy with the election? Oh, just a wee bit. It's sort of like having a full-time job on top of a full-time job, but that's okay. It's a, it's a sprint, not a marathon. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it's a, it is very much a sprint. Uh, speaking of sprints, uh, we have, uh, I'll introduce him in a sec, we have Seb Dallaire, who's a, an SVP in Ipsos and uh, Senior Vice President of Ipsos and is uh, the general manager and leads our Quebec uh, work operations. Uh, he's going to talk to us in a bit, but I thought we'd start off with our uh, cool facts for the week, or for the. I guess we're going to do multiple co- podcasts uh, during the election. The cool facts for the day, I guess. Um, do you want to start? Or do you want me to start? Uh, well, I, I'll start because I guess it it uh, it sets the tone a little bit for what we'll likely discuss today. Uh, six. My my number is six, and that is the number of percentage points that the prime minister's approval rating has dropped in the first week of the campaign. Uh, obviously, uh, a little slow to uh, articulate why we're in an election that nobody seems to want. Uh, there may be an Afghanistan effect in there too. Uh, who knows? Uh, but uh, what's clear is that uh, Canadians uh, are turning away from him uh, a little bit after uh, he enjoyed majority approval since the pandemic began. So uh, we now have a horse race on our hands, which is uh, interesting, if nothing else. That's true. Um, uh, My number for the day is 35, as in 35% of Canadians don't like any of the parties that are currently running in the federal election, uh, which I think points to uh, a a lot of the apathy we see, why we continually have, we struggle for, for a high voter turnout, um, you know, doesn't speak so much to campaigns, but speaks to probably everything that happens in between campaigns in terms of showing the value of, of government and those kind of things. So um, not not a great number, I think, that that number. And I think in, in most democracies, we'd like to see it uh, down considerably. So if you and I started a party, do you think we could mop up most of that 35 percent? I think it might climb to 50 <laughs> percent. There we go. Well, we have with us today uh, Sebastian Delaire, as I introduced you, Seb, uh, who's our general manager in Quebec. How are you today? Doing well, yourselves? We're good. Uh, So Sean and I uh, have a a handful of questions for you. Um, But really, um, we had Daryl on last week, Daryl Bricker, our global CEO. And um, this was prior to the shifts that Sean uh, talked about this week. But, you know, going to last week, it was, you know, the, the big the big battlegrounds are going to be British Columbia because um, it's close uh, and in Quebec because it always moves around a little bit. And I think there are 78 seats. Am I correct in Quebec? 
And so, uh, you know, I, I think the federal elections, personally, I think federal elections are not really national elections in Canada. They are a series of regional elections. It's different in the Atlantic than it is in Alberta and B.C. and Ontario. Um, but but Quebec has a has another, you know, slice on top of it. And you have the Bloc Quebecois. Uh, you, have a, you have a different set of voting patterns. So so really what we're hoping today is, and we'll, we'll let you take the first salvo without a question, maybe is, just uh, explain to us a little bit of what's happening in Quebec right now with the vote. <laughs> well, you're, you're being very understated when you say it moves around a little bit in Quebec. <laughs> um, if, if we look back to even 2008, uh, after years of stability with the Bloc Québécois gaining, you know, winning most of the seats in Quebec in a very stable manner and the Liberal Party winning some ridings, in, especially around Montreal, um, we've had major swings in voting intentions in Quebec since then. And, of course, 2011, the Orange Crush with uh, Jack Layton at the time. Then 2015, what was called the Red Tide with the Liberals coming back uh, and, and essentially shoving the NDP out of the way in a way that was quite dramatic. And then 2019, the Bloc coming back uh, after a few elections of really struggling to find uh, some relevance in the province. The, black, the, the bloc really um, made major headways the last time around. So now the question is, what will happen in 2021? Will we see another major shift or will we keep seeing this kind of two-party battle between the bloc and the liberals like we saw last time? So that's very interesting, Seb. And and I'm wondering, you know, I think you and I both have our, our backgrounds in political science. Um, uh, and one of the things that I learned uh, studying from Barry Kay years ago was you have this individual level volatility, volatility, but aggregate stability, meaning individual voters may change their mind, but the net effect is usually fairly, fairly mm-hmm. minimal, but not in Quebec. Why are <laughs> Quebec voters uh, as a whole, so volatile. Um, do their opinions and needs change so quickly from election to election, or is there a different dynamic at play there that makes them more receptive to changing their vote from time to time? Yes, it, it is very difficult for, uh, and I would say even for an insider in Quebec to to understand sometimes the changes. We we understand the reasons the underlying the shifts that we're seeing, but trying to predict where things are going to go before a campaign can be uh, a very tough contact sport for sure. And the the reason why it's more complicated to try to figure out where the vote in Quebec is going to go at the national level, uh, as opposed to the provincial level where it's easier to predict, is that a lot of Quebec voters will look at the federal election in a very different light. When when we think about um, a national election, voters in Canada will, will you know, align themselves with parties that tend to represent their views on even though it's difficult for uh, individual voters to necessarily pinpoint where they stand on a progressive versus conservative um, on this more typical scale, we can roughly estimate where someone is going to go based on how they feel about social issues, economic issues, um, and and people have fairly stable positions. Uh, in Quebec, this is kind of overlaid on top of another axis, which is 
the it used to be what we would call the yes no axis on in terms of voting for sovereignty or, or not or what used to be called a federalist versus sovereigntist axis. This has changed over the the, the past decade or so uh, because sovereignty has been less of a less prominent as an issue in the province. But the extent to which uh, someone considered themselves Quebecer first and Canadian second, or how deeply uh, you know how much of a nationalist you consider yourself as a Quebecer. You're looking at the federal election from a very different, uh, I would say, a set of angles. It's not just one angle because, yes, you could be center left provincially, but vote to the right nationally because you're not voting based on the same scale, but you're voting based on what a federal party will offer for Quebec specifically. So it's not about your social values, it's not about your economic beliefs, but it's about what are you offering Quebec. And that's because the point, the starting point is not the national election, but it's Quebec needs at a certain point in time. And so if that traditional wedge issue in Quebec was sovereignty, of course, with the bloc on one side and they're, they're sort of natural competitors of liberals on the other side, you mentioned that it, in the last couple of elections, it hasn't surfaced really as, as a, a prominent issue. So then what is the wedge issue in Quebec or what might be the wedge issue in Quebec is it important uh, for the bloc to establish one in order to to gain any traction or any of the other parties for that matter? But but uh, in the absence of sovereignty, what what takes over? Well, in 2019, uh, I think that that's a great question. In 2019, uh, the reason why the bloc was able to all of a sudden come back uh, as a major contender was that, well, one, it had a new leader in, in uh, Blanchet that was popular, well-known, obviously well-spoken, had a really good campaign. But also what he was able to do is align his party's platform with the demand from François Legault. François Legault submitted his laundry list of demands for Quebec in 2019, what he was expecting from the, the Canadian government moving forward, and the Bloc Québécois was able to align itself with all of these issues, despite the fact that some of them did not fit very well within a coherent ideological framework. Some of them appeared to be more right, some of them appeared to be more on the left. It was kind of a mixed bag of, of issues, but the Bloc was able to say, well, okay, I'm, I'm fine with all of this, and I want the federal government to do all of this. So, so it, it gave Blanchet um, a really uh, a, a lot of, uh, I would say, he, he, a lot of legroom, if, if, if we want to say, to just run with it and really put other parties on the defensive on a lot of key issues like Bill 21, where he was able to constantly remind other parties that, you know, the bloc just wants what's good for Quebec and don't touch this. This is our thing. You don't want to, to get involved. And then on, on many, many different issues, climate change, the same thing. So he said, you know, we'll be greener than the green. Because you can do this when you know you won't form the government. You can have very conflicting positions on a lot of things, and it doesn't matter as much. Because in the end, you will be there to just defend the issues, even if it doesn't appear very coherent. It's okay, because it's about protecting Quebec's rights. Is that uh, 
a little more of a challenge in 2021, given the liberal federal government has um, been closer to the provincial government in terms of uh, agreeing on some of the, some of the major policy issues, agreeing on some of the direction, um, things like childcare. <laughs> They've stayed away from 21. Uh, those mm-hmm. kind of things. Uh, yes, indeed. And when the campaign started, it was a question that really resonated in Quebec. How would it be possible for the bloc to really wedge itself between the the outgoing government and uh, the Francois Legault government provincially? Because they seem to have gotten along quite well during the pandemic. Their views were aligned on a lot of policies recently. Um, that being said, we know that, for example, in the campaign, what is emerging right now is healthcare, and with the Liberals uh, proposing some new funding, but with strings attached, then all of a sudden the the issues regarding whose jurisdiction this should be in, or there should be no strings attached. It should be only about transfer payments and not about forcing uh, the province to do whatever uh, with with the money or to, to fix objectives with what the province should do with the money provided by the federal government. So this is kind of the start of a wedge in a way right now in the campaign. We see that this is starting to bubble over if the Liberal Party wants to keep proposing measures in healthcare that may be popular, but that keep bringing back this question of Quebec uh, jurisdiction and versus federal imposition of, of ideas, then that may become a wedge issue where the bloc could play a role. And all of a sudden, it, you know, the, and, and we know because they're, they're already talking about it a lot and we, we hear this. And, and so there are many, many different issues like this where it's not necessarily the topic or how popular an issue is that matters for the bloc, but it's whether it infringes or it is seen to infringe on Quebec's ability to make its own decisions. Do the conservatives have room to grow on an issue like healthcare? I mean, their their plan doesn't doesn't have the specifics that the liberal plan does. It's uh, a six percent increase and sixty billion over ten years. I think that's what I've got the numbers right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they they came in <laughs> last week. They have a a one hundred days to to uh, nationhood essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, some new bridges. <laughs> they're going to propose to fund, and uh, do, do they have an upside um, in in Quebec, or are they about where they they'll end up? Do you think? Well, in terms of those many of these specific issues, and 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 some of the demands that we know that the Legault government will be making over coming days, the Conservatives uh, have done so far a good job at trying to align their platform with some of the demands from the Quebec government, and for example, saying while. Well, while they don't agree with Bill 21, they promise that they're not going to intervene uh, in, in any kind of legal challenges nationally to, to the bill. Uh, they also uh, are saying that they agree with the government on uh, the new tunnel in, for the Quebec City area. Uh, and then we could go down the list. There are many core issues where they agree with what the Quebec government wants right now. 
And uh, it, it's creating an interesting dynamic with the block because the block sees that the, you know, the conservatives are trying to eat their lunch in a way right now. And and what the block will will try to do is to say, well, yes, and, and, and we're already hearing this is to say, yeah, the conservatives speak a good game and they want to sign this contract with Quebecers. But then when they go to Alberta, when they go to Western Canada, they have a completely different discourse uh, because whatever they're promising for Quebec won't, you know, won't won't sit well with their base. So the bloc is trying to say that they have a bit of a double discourse. Don't all this. parties don't all parties do that? I mean, the Liberals <laughs> came out yesterday on uh, diagnostic services and very mm-hmm. pointedly said if Saskatchewan keeps it up, they're taking money back. But I, I believe you can get the same thing in Quebec. It's a staple of any federal election in Quebec for parties to accuse each other of doublespeak. Uh, it it mm-hmm. happens every single election, and and, and doublespeak in different languages. What what you will hear often, and you'll hear it in the debates. I guarantee, if you play debate bingo, uh, <laughs> you, you'll hear leaders say, "Oh well, you say this in French, but then you say exactly the opposite in English," uh, and you think we don't understand both languages. Uh, so th- that that is something that comes back every single election. It, sometimes it doesn't land. Sometimes the blow does land when, when the issue uh, actually matters a lot in a given election or if a party can convince voters that there is indeed some sort of hidden agenda. Uh, and we know, for example, in the Stephen Harper years that you know, the liberals uh, and the bloc were pretty successful in Quebec at telling voters that Stephen Harper had a hidden agenda. Uh, Yes, Stephen Harper was favorable towards uh, the Quebec nation uh, as a symbol, wanted to do a lot of things for Quebec to to try to convince them that uh, he was on their side, but the bloc and the liberals constantly hit that same nail that, well, it doesn't say the same when he's in English Canada. He doesn't say the same, especially when he's Alberta, he's in Alberta or he's in Western Canada. And uh, we'll see if these same attacks come back again this campaign. We're already hearing some of the same things, but are they landing as as much as they did? Well, we'll see how it goes. One of the things I think, Seb, that will help to define the the campaign and and, and the wedge issue is is of course the the debates. And in Quebec, as you know, there's an extra one. There's a essentially a second uh, French language debate that happens sooner rather than later. How important are the the debates within Quebec, particularly the French language debate? But you can certainly talk about the English language uh, debates as well. Do do voters pay attention more within Quebec? To those French language debates than say the rest of Canadians do to the to the English language debates, and I mean obviously Jack Layton is a, is a good example of you know uh, how how well the NDP did a- after that debate. But was that an anomaly or or do they do they really matter within Quebec? They, they do matter, and they do matter because uh, the the idea that a leader um, can relate to Quebec is very important. And and the example of Jack Layton is a good one. Jack Layton's first language was English, and he spoke French very well, but he had a broken French and he had pretty uh, obvious accent when he spoke. But it was an accent that Quebec voters could recognize because it was a bit of a uh, because he lived in Montreal for years and his accent sounded like an accent we would hear 
here in Quebec. And it gave him a bit of an advantage, strangely enough, that yes, he's, he's, he's an Anglophone, and at the time he was representing uh, Toronto writing, but he did have uh, he did resonate with Quebec voters because he, he sounded like he was from from the province. He sounded like he understood Quebec. He, he showed that he understood Quebec in the way he talked about the province, in the way he talked about Montreal and about the needs of, of Quebec voters. So that's what really gave this momentum to the NDP at the time. It, it, it's always important for leaders as especially leaders who are not well known yet and then we think right away of right now O'Toole for the conservatives how well will he do in the French debates and so far in the campaign he's showing that his French is actually also really good and he can handle himself but unfortunately sometimes the French debate could it's an extra barrier for sure for a leader who for whom it's not their first language, because if, if you think about having an, an argument with anyone, think about when you're talking to your friends or your colleagues and, and try to have the same argument in a second language that you're not as comfortable in, in front of cameras. It's the biggest day of your political career. And you all, all of a sudden you have to handle all these hot potatoes right on the fly in front of a camera with all this pressure on you. It's tough, and it, it it's very tough for leaders who are not well-known uh, in the province, who are not that comfortable in, in French, to perform very strongly. So while the bar is not as high as, let's say, for Justin Trudeau, where he's expected to perform really well because Quebecers expect him to be great in French, same for Blanchet, but then for other leaders – what they want to avoid is having a really difficult performance or really struggle. And uh, as especially as, as the debate goes on and after half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half of arguing and constantly having to be on your toes, it can be very difficult. And unfortunately, sometimes they, they can drop the ball. I would say that one easy example for uh, our English Canadians, uh, English Canadian listeners right now thinking about the importance of this debate, a good example would be to think back of when Stéphane Zion was the liberal leader uh, and how the English debate played a big role in defining him as a leader because it wasn't his first language and he wasn't as comfortable. It certainly did not help him build momentum uh, dur during the campaign. And uh, so, so I think that's kind of the best example of the way in which the French debate can sometimes influence how uh, you know the rest of a campaign will go for uh, a federal leader in Quebec uh, because it, it, it's a chance to make a good first impression or to sometimes come off as someone that uh, we don't necessarily relate with uh, relate to uh, very well because we don't we don't seem to really uh, understand everything that they're saying or they don't seem to be as assured as they would be in their first language. So it changes a perception of their leadership. Debates aren't necessarily about who won and lost. It was about how they performed against expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, someone who performed better than expectations in 2019 in the English language debate was uh, Monsieur Blanchet himself, uh, mm -hmm. who seemed uh, affable, likable, witty, knowledgeable, um, and almost amusing uh, to to English Canadians. I mean, how much does his 
personality uh, play a, a role in in who he is and how how Quebecers perceive him? Well, for sure, he's he's very comfortable in in front of cameras, and and we knew this before the campaign in 2019. For for those of us in Quebec who had been following his career, he had been a PQ minister before, and he was a regular talking head on political uh, talk shows in Quebec for years prior to becoming. Uh, the leader of the Bloc Québécois, and he was obviously very good and very, as you said, like quick-witted and, and someone who can really think on his feet when when he's put into uh, you know on under the microscope, and that certainly helped him a lot the last time around. The expectations were not really high because the Bloc had been struggling for years. And all of a sudden, uh, some really important wedge issues helped him out on top of being a new leader who could really handle himself very well in front of cameras. So he was able to put other leaders on the defensive, both in English and in French. And uh, yeah, the fact that he can be funny and, and, and often look like he's a bit above the fray. That's something that he likes to do just to look and say, whoa, whoa, I never insulted anyone. So why are you trying to insult me? I'm being nice here. And it's a role that he can play because he won't have to carry the mantle or whatever it is after, because his job is to defend Quebec's positions and ideals, and he won't have to govern after. So obviously it gives him an advantage in the same way that it gave Gilles Giuseppe an advantage. And back in the days, you often heard this about Gilles Giuseppe as well with people in English Canada saying, well, actually, he looks quite nice and it's it, he doesn't yeah. look threatening. Uh, he, he's not he doesn't get too angry. He doesn't get too flustered. And uh, it was it was a big advantage for him. Do you think that um, the bloc have the most to lose in this campaign? You did, I mean, you just said he you know, he came into 2019 he was a known commodity there he wasn't outside but because there were lower expectations some wedge issues helped they probably outperformed from what what most thought they were going to do mm-hmm. and you know uh, the nature of politics is everybody always wants more uh your mm-hmm. your, your, your members want uh, want more seats uh, there's a desire for more like is if the block slides back or um is it a big loss for him or is it um you know it depends how big the slide would be if if there yeah. is a slide. Uh, a, just a slight decline would not be too bad. But the danger for the block is to get back into this kind of the, the rut that they were in in 2011, 2015, 2019, where they really struggled to find their footing, had internal struggles, power struggles. Uh, after Gilles Giuseppe left. So so they, they, they were in a very difficult spot, and we see it with the Parti Québécois right now in Quebec. Uh, and that's what the Bloc wants to avoid. The Parti Québécois recovered, and they've had a few other leaders, but uh, from a pure voting perspective, the Parti Québécois has, has not been able to gain uh, their past prominent status again. Like They haven't been able to regain their footing in the province, and that's the risk for the Bloc Québécois. That if they were to go back again, would they be able to rise, or would they slowly but surely disappear from uh, the political landscape? That was the fear before, and last time they managed to come back. But obviously now, they want to avoid any kind of downslide because 
it would be even harder to come back if there were if there were another one. But do they have more to lose than the liberals? I don't know, because the liberals went into this election with one goal. It was to win a majority and they can't do it without getting gaining more seats in Quebec. So the liberals absolutely have to win more in Quebec. Status quo is not good enough. Status quo is a bigger loss for the liberals than it is for anybody else. Exactly. Status quo is not good enough means that they can't get a majority. And if they go back slightly, they could even lose the election. So so, uh, there's a lot at stake for both the liberals and, and the Bloc Québécois right now. I get the jurisdictional issues. Those are those are fairly easy to see. They are things that we get to decide. So healthcare. We may agree with you, but don't give us strings. We're going to decide in Quebec. And th- th- you can see where that happens. And you can see most of the other parties sort of lining up and saying, we're not going to fight you over jurisdiction. We're just going to mm-hmm. avoid that discussion between elections, during elections. But, but what about issues like affordability, housing, um, or climate change? You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. hear as much out of Quebec. Now, I don't read the Quebec media, obviously, as much but on the housing and affordability issues, which is key everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I do see in our numbers, you know, um, whether it's over-indexing or higher levels of concern around an issues around the environment and climate change in Quebec. And I just wondered yeah. on, on those two issues, am I missing something on affordability and why on climate change? Well, on affordability actually has become more of an issue over the past year in Quebec. We know historically the price of uh, housing uh, in the province wasn't as uh, dramatic as it was uh, in in other uh, provinces, especially when we think Ontario, Alberta, BC, where especially in major centers, affording a house or just decent lodging was was a major challenge for for a lot of of Canadians in Quebec because housing prices were relatively speaking lower. Uh, this wasn't as much an issue, but uh, with the pandemic. A lot of new issues arose and the prices have really skyrocketed. So it is becoming much more of an issue in a conversation provincially as well. So we'll see how that plays out during the campaign. And we know on those issues, uh, you know, all parties are talking about it nationally. And, and we can expect that it's going to play a role uh, here in Quebec as well. And it's an area where this issue of jurisdictions may not be as uh, important, depending on what is proposed, of course. Um, and and the, the reason why healthcare is so uh, is much more difficult to navigate is for a federal party. If if you're going to produce, we know healthcare is always an extremely important issue. Uh, it, it pretty much always ranks first or second, depending on <laughs> what what period we're in. But what can you propose when it's managed by provinces? So it's it's the same issue anywhere in Canada. The difference is because Quebecers are so more protective of their jurisdiction that for, for a national party to propose just giving money, it's not really a winning proposition. You just give money, but no one will really notice what you're doing. So you it's want to focus to, on outcomes. Exactly. You want to focus on outcomes or what Quebecers would say, maybe our strings attached. But if you want to be very specific over what you promise, otherwise you're, the money you're throwing at it just won't really register. But the more specific you are, the more trouble you tend to get into uh, in the province. So it's 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 almost a no wins situation to try to talk about healthcare in Quebec. 
Well, I'm wondering whether whether housing affordability is going to be similar because all the parties seem to be coming out with something. And in order for it to be a true wedge issue, you need to have a, a diversity of options, you know, where where the parties are differentiated and separated based on policy approaches. It seems that all the parties can get behind taking steps to, uh, you know, help first time home buyers out and, and, and making uh, home ownership more more affordable. So I think it'll be it'll be, uh, you know, discussed in an important issue. Um, but uh, I'm not sure it's one that's going to determine a lot of votes. That's just my hunch. Mm-hmm. Seb, Seb dodged my question on climate change. No, no, I, 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 I realized Sean, you know, Sean jumped in. I was like, oh, we never, we never talked about climate change. So for sure, uh, let's talk about climate change for a minute. It's, uh, it, it's an important issue, and it's, it's, it's an issue that we've known. And and in 2019, coming into the election, so in the pre-pandemic world, it actually climbed to be the number one issue in Quebec uh, going into the 2019 election, which was the first time we had ever seen this. And and at the time. It was a very tricky issue for uh, the Liberal government because of the Trans Mountain uh, purchase and trying to get this uh, going. And and in Quebec, this was very unpopular because there had been debates about Energy East before. uh, And um, there were a lot of, um, you know, it was used as a wedge issue provincially a lot by pretty much all parties trying to make the Liberal government look bad. And and over the years, this was always an issue for the Stephen Harper government as well, the conservatives in the province where uh, Quebec parties uh, constantly talked about the difference between Quebec and Western Canada and the fact that Quebec relied a lot more on hydroelectric um, you know, energy generation and did not want oil from, from the West. Obviously, this is vastly oversimplifying the energy uh, discussion that we should be having, but this is the way it was kind of painted in a very general way by opposition parties. So it's uh, it's a very very tricky issue, and we'll see over coming weeks how it plays out. But we can expect that you know it's it's a question that will be raised for uh, for the conservatives moving forward uh, and the liberals this camp. Uh, and, and, and the liberals is twenty five percent of a pipeline. Yeah, uh, for sure. And you're right. But if if the narrative were to change, because we're seeing right now a tightening of the race nationally, and instead of talking about the possibility of a majority versus a minority for the liberal government, we start talking about the possibility of maybe the government could be different. Maybe it's not going to be a liberal minority or majority, but it could be a conservative government. All of a sudden, you know, shining the light on um, uh, the conservatives may create very different challenges for uh, for the conservatives in the province because climate change is bound to really reappear in the campaign if that's the case, and it could become a, a real sticking point. And uh, climate change should be, uh, you know, right in the wheelhouse of the NDP and the uh, and the Green Party, for example. But our polling has shown that their performance within the uh, within the province almost fails to register. I mean, certainly for the Greens, the NDP are in the in the low tens. Are are they irrelevant to this campaign within Quebec? No, I would not say they're they're irrelevant because they're obviously part 
of the discussion and, and many of their policy ideas do get covered. And, uh, you know, they, they are uh, very much part of the, the whole narrative. But, but it is difficult to see how they would get a lot of traction in terms of voting intentions in the province at this stage. That being said, <laughs> judging by what happened the pre previous three elections, I will never say nothing is possible uh, in the province. So I'm going to be very careful on that one. But at this stage, um, it's hard to see the NDP uh, making a big comeback in the province. And, and unfortunately, all the debates over the past few years in Quebec about religious symbols they, they obviously don't help uh, you know, Jagmeet Singh because he wears a religious symbol. And uh, so, so that's it, it definitely is uh, an extra obstacle for him in the province, despite the fact that he's very comfortable in French. His policy ideas match with a lot of uh, some of the historical uh, demands or leanings of, of Quebec voters. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's an uphill battle for for the NDP uh, in Quebec, for sure. Uh, and for the Green Party, it's it's certainly not because the, their core ideas are not resonating in the province, but it's, it's more a matter of uh, being seen or being known or aware. Just basic awareness is not there in the province. Elizabeth May was, you know, was over time becoming more of a well-known figure in the province. But it, it was still difficult for her because her French was not uh, was not as good as some of the other leaders. And so it was a bit more difficult for her to connect. But she was appreciated. She was liked. Her leadership numbers were, were pretty good generally. But then because uh, Annemie Paul, I don't think Quebecers really know who she is, what she stands for, aside from, uh, you know, being being uh, in favor of fighting climate change. Uh, it it's really difficult for Quebec voters to have a sense of what the Greens really stand for, aside from the environment. Any thoughts on uh, generational issues in the province? I mean, you know, young people, they, I don't and I don't see it in our data that Quebec's that different, but young people hold different views around uh, quality, uh, inequities, diversity, racism, climate change. Um, and yet, um, Quebec votes differently uh, overall. I'm not saying the young people do, but mm -hmm. do you see any see any um, any any sea change amongst young people that may affect us in the future in terms of how voting patterns go? Uh, yes, and then one of the core things that is emerging and that we're seeing in the province is is more and more young. Quebecers are pretty much like young Canadians more generally. Some of the previous generations, uh, the differences that emerged in the past because of language differences and this old debate between sovereignty versus uh, federalism, uh, because this is slowly moving away uh, as, as kind of a core divide in, in Canadian society, Younger generations tend to uh, align to uh, align themselves with um, 
people with similar values in the same way that younger Canadians are doing generally, mm-hmm. whether it's online or through their so whatever their social um, networks or circles are, they tend to align themselves with people who think like them. And because the conversations in Quebec are not about sovereignty or about, uh, you know, belonging to Canada versus belonging to Quebec or being a citizen of the world, uh, they, they are very much like their uh, English Canadian counterparts when they think about climate change, when they think about inequities, inclusion, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, all these issues that are really important to young Canadians tend to be very important to young Quebecers as well. Which, which makes sense because I think what we're seeing is um, not just in Quebec, but everywhere is uh, younger people with very different <laughs> Uh, media information news sources, um, not relying on the same news that their that their parents got. There was a point, you know, you go back 20 years when we did this, where at a certain point everybody became their parents, in large part because they started to consume the same knowledge and news and information as their parents through a handful of of media streams. Um, mm-hmm. And now, you know, uh, you know, young people uh, could get more of their information from Reddit or different subreddits or from you know, a, a myriad of different sources that, that aren't controlled by by the traditional gatekeepers, um, and particularly an issue in, in Quebec, I would imagine, where there are so many more sources that are not francophone um, mm-hmm. for, for young people to, and you just can't, you can't police it. <laughs> uh, no, you want to, but, but you, you know, they, they're just getting access to so much more, so much broader information. Exactly, exactly. It, it, it's very different. While, while Quebec still have its own star system, and, and the, the younger uh, younger generation certainly uh, has is a lot more immersed into the kind of the, the more global star system, uh, you know, whether the, and North American star system as well. So while the the Quebec um, uh, you know Quebec artists still play a, a large role with, with younger uh, with the younger generation they are not as uh, all important as they were for for older Quebecers and it's obviously a source of concern as as uh, we're looking at you know what what's going to happen to the specific to the very specific nature of Quebec culture and you know protection of French language moving forward and then so, so uh, these remain important but they're looked at from a very different uh, different angle as before because for younger people they don't necessarily look at the future of the French language in the same way like they 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 want to keep French the French language they want to defend it. But they don't look at uh, what's happening globally with culture necessarily as a threat in the same way uh, as previous generations might have, because they're so much more part of this yeah, this global culture than their parents and their grandparents. It's a very uh, so, different perspective. You're right. If you you value something and cherish it versus feel threatened, it's going to be taken away. Yeah. So so the the conversation, you know, it, uh, when when we think about Quebec nationalism. Uh, it is very different whether you talk to a young person versus an, an older uh, Quebecer, for sure. Seb, I have a little uh, rapid-fire game for you. I would like to name a party, mm-hmm. and you have to tell me in about 20 seconds where or whom that party needs to you know, court in order to win 10 more seats. So where do, where do they need to improve? What's their lowest their lowest hanging fruit? So I will start with the 
liberals, the incumbent liberals, since they since they called the election. I would say the liberals for sure need to get out the younger vote and and to convince a lot of younger Quebecers to uh, to, to to vote for them, uh, and and likely they will try to do it by you know, some of the more traditional approaches of saying, well, oh, you need to be afraid of what the conservatives are going to do, especially on climate change. And you you have to um, don't vote for the bloc, because if you vote for the bloc, you vote for an opposition party, they'll never be in power. So some of these traditional battle lines. But I think they need to get uh, younger people to vote uh, in droves for them, just like what happened in 2015. Right. Uh, this is where they could get back to where they were. Where did the bloc gain 10 seats? Who do they need to talk to and where in order to gain that uh, number of seats? It's tough because the bloc's coalition changed a lot over the years. And, and you know, if, if right now they're, they tend to be around 30 percent. They got 32 percent the last election. If we look at the PQ's vote, uh, the PQ hovers around, depending on, on surveys, around 15 to 20 percent. Now, provincially, is that the core sovereignist vote that is left? Possibly, um, for the bloc, it's to win this kind of eclectic coalition. They have to to gain from the conservatives, gain from the NDP, gain from the liberals. They have to go and get voters from multiple parties, and and these would be the softer voters that form part of the CAQ's coalition provincially. So you go get these voters who are nationalists, but not necessarily strong sovereignists and who, who want the federal government to kind of give Quebec what it wants without any strings attached and try to make this a battle over respecting Quebec's rights. And uh, and finally, of the of the major parties with, that uh, have a chance at getting quite a few seats, where do the Conservatives need to focus their energy to pick up another 10 seats? The Conservatives clearly have to go get some votes from the bloc. Uh, and we already see that the, the Conservatives are trying to, as I said before, eat the bloc's lunch. Uh, early in this campaign in Quebec, a lot of what they've put forward in their platform and in their contract for Quebecers are some of the more traditional nationalist demands uh, for Quebec. And they're trying to go and get those voters. And, and like I said before, they're neither left nor right necessarily, but they all have one thing in common is that they want more autonomy uh, for Quebec. They want more powers from Quebec, and they want more recognition about the, 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 the status of the province, the, the unique status of the province. And the Conservatives are really targeting this, and we already see it. So the question is, will they be successful? Mike, I think that was pretty damn good advice for free. Uh, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll thank Seb and uh, hopefully have you back some other time, maybe not in the fray of an election, to talk about uh, some <laughs> other issues in La Belle Province. And it's funny, one of the things we did not mention, but um, earlier, one of the questions you asked, it, it came to mind is we're talking about the blocks, the blocks uh, platform and and what they were going to try to, to push as wedge issues moving forward. And and the one thing that, that came up in some discussions over the past few days in Quebec is that once again, in the blocks platform, the word independence or sovereignty doesn't appear a single time. Uh, 
uh, it's completely absent. And and while not surprising because a federal election is not about sovereignty or about independence, it's every election the same discussion comes back. Why is it not in there? Because that's your reason for existing. And that's it's always a difficult question for the bloc to ask, uh, to, to answer. And uh, we'll see how much it plays a role moving forward. If they, you know, I assume that both the liberals and the conservatives are going to try to repeat the same old, uh, you know, the same old argument that a vote for the bloc is a vote for the other party. <laughs> That's what they always do. If you vote for them, if you're the liberals, you're going to say, well, I'll vote for for uh, the bloc as a vote for the conservatives. If you're the conservatives, a vote for the bloc as a vote for the liberals. I mean, that's the reason for being the reason they were started was independence. But does it hold today? Um, I go back to, you know, when the Reform Party was in its early days and only relevant in, in the West. People who were voting for it, when you asked them and said, you know, you're, you're voting for a group that's never going to get in their power. They were like, that's OK. Our, mm-hmm. our goal is not to get in our power. Our goal is to have influence for the West, um, particularly Alberta and the, the Prairie provinces. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't that sort of the... Uh, you tell yes, me. <laughs> that, that, that's the that's the goal for a federal election for sure. Yeah. But if 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 you listen to what comes out of their party conventions outside of the electoral period, it is about Quebec sovereignty. Okay. Still. Sovereignty. Uh, so, so 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 the it remains uh, you know really central to 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 the bloc's identity, but during a federal campaign is not the time for them to, to talk about that. So, so it is in this case about defending Quebec's interests. And that's, uh, and it, it became that actually many election cycles ago under Gilles Giuseppe, it became that in years following the, 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 the referendum in, in 95 and the following years when some started to question why the party was still there since it was created in 93 for the sole purpose of promoting Quebec independence. Um, you know, uh, and uh, they success- party. exactly, they successfully transformed themselves into a political dynasty over time until it, it fell apart in 2011 and now they're back in, uh, and the challenge is to remain back in. And and it's obviously not by having a, a discussion on sovereignty that uh, they, they at the federal level that they could really win a lot of votes. Excellent. Well, Seb, uh, on behalf of all English Canadians, I'd like to thank you for uh, helping me understand the uh, dynamics of uh, federal campaigns in the province of Quebec, it's, uh, they're very interesting. They're, they're kind of unpredictable. Uh, and it kind of makes me wish that I lived in Quebec so that I could be immersed in, 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 in that kind of intriguing politics all the time. Uh, so uh, <laughs> thank you very much for, for teaching me many things today. I probably didn't help you trying to figure out where we're going to be in four weeks, but <laughs> it's uh, if the previous three cycles are an indicator of where we're going, it could be very different from where we stand today. Well, we'll look at the data each week with you and uh, we'll get there. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Educated Conjecture. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts for another episode of Public Opinion and Informed Insights. If you have a topic you'd like to see covered on an upcoming episode, please send us an email at publicaffairs at ipsos.com. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-A-F-F-A-I-R-S 
at ipsos, I-P-S-O-S dot com.